Well, again, I have the envious task of trying to follow that up. So <laughs> won't be as good as them and not as cute as them. So um, <laughs> you, have to, you have to be with me for the next half hour. Um, when we talk about joy, I know that this is, can be a bit of a hard topic because I know there's a lot of people that go through, oh, the youth are dismissed. Sorry, <laughs> I'm bad. <laughs> yeah, youth, yeah. I know when we talk about joy, sometimes we can have pain at the Christmas season. Sometimes we've lost relatives. Sometimes we've gone through heartbreak. Christmas is sometimes one of those weird times where we are meant to be joyous, but sometimes there's pain in this. And so I hope that I'm able to handle this well. And so with that, I just I want to pray before we get started. Father, you know that there's, there's people here that come with great pain during the Christmas time. There's people that carry suffering. There's people that carry doubt, worry about what the future will be like. So Lord, help me to be sensitive. Help me to be kind. Help us to know your joy this morning. Amen. <clears throat> so have you ever been really excited for something? I mean, like, so excited you can barely sleep. That was me as a kid. Like Christmas time, I had a very hard time sleeping. Christmas would come around and I was like, oh man, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. And you know, one of the favorite things about Christmas, I think, you know, sometimes it's, um, you know, like sugar, you know, like I would, I'd usually overdose in sugar during the Christmas season as a kid. I feel like so sick usually after Christmas because I had way too much sugar, you know, and then I love the presents. I love going caroling, love going ice skating. My family often, uh, we go sledding and there's this huge hill in Edmonton called Connors Hill. It's just like this gigantic hill and you go way too fast and what's safe. But me and my brother, we go into a toboggan, we go running at the top of the hill to get as much speed as possible and then we go down the hill as fast as we could. And usually, you know, like your kids, so you rebound pretty fast. But uh, yeah, Christmas is, uh, Christmas is a lot of fun. Um, and I just remember being with family uh, Christmas Eve. I'm not sure about you, but my, fam my mom's South African, and so we'd often have like some South African desserts and stuff after Christmas. And I just remember having a lot of joy around Christmas, a lot of just longing for Christmas. But if I'm honest with you, even though I enjoyed all those things, as a child, and I'm sure if you're honest, probably most of us enjoyed the presents the most. Presents was like, that was the big thing. Like, what are we getting under the tree? And I had an aunt, and she was kind of known as the aunt that gives the best presents. So, you know, we're always like, when is Aunt Rita's presents coming? When is Aunt Rita's presents coming in? Because, you know, she would ship them. She was from the States. And so... It would usually take a while. And as I was writing this sermon, I was actually thinking, my dad probably got super annoyed with us as kids because we would ask him over and over again about the Christmas presents. And I couldn't wait to open Christmas presents as a kid from my aunt. And I remember, um, you know, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Finally, my aunt's presents come in. And, and so we're kind of thinking, okay, like, what, what, is, this, what is this Christmas present? And the thing about this Christmas present is, you know, like, you know, there's kind of, there's different ways you can go about figuring out what a Christmas present is. You can uh, take the present, you can shake it and shake it, and you can look at it, kind of feel it, how heavy is this present? And I remember shaking this present over and over again, and nothing. And I'm just like, okay, like, this is not helping me shaking this present. And me being a very curious eight-year-old at the time, I'm getting very frustrated because, you know, sometimes I would get Lego and Lego is really easy to figure out because you just shake it as a boy and you're like, oh, that's Lego. I know what that is. But this one's not making a sound. 
And so, you know, as I said, rule number one is shake it. Rule number two is if you can't figure out by shaking it, you've got to like try to look at the object, try to see like, okay, like what could be in there? What's the size? You know, the box was probably like seven inches by seven inches by four inches. And I was looking at this, I was like, I have no idea what this present is. And I was, I was kind of getting frustrated as a kid because I like to figure things out. And I was like, well, this isn't working. And so I did the one thing you're not supposed to do. I made a slight tear on the package and thinking, you know, if I make just this like small tear, no one's gonna like notice, no one's gonna see what it is. So I made the small tear. The problem was I made the small tear and I still couldn't figure out what it was because it was too small and it didn't like really show into the package. And so I was like, oh, I have to do this again. I have to do this a second time. So what did I do? I did that thing a second time. I went to the package again another time when no one was looking and it's kind of dark, you know, uh, late at night and I go and make a second tear and I figured out what was in the package. And, you know, like, it was amazing what happened as soon as I figured it out, all that anticipation, all that curiosity, it kind of all just went away. You know, and I was kind of like, oh, well, this is not what I expected. I mean, I was still excited about the gift, getting to open it up on Christmas, but there's a sense of kind of loss there. And, you know, th this, this story, you know, is kind of funny, but I think... Isn't this what happens to us sometimes? Sometimes we can become so obsessed about something, so caught up in something. Um, maybe, you know, you'd go down the YouTube rabbit hole or something like that, and we, like, we, we need to consume something, figure out what's in it, what's going on, what's the actual truth. And then all of a sudden, we've found that we're not actually really satisfied, we're not really happy, we don't feel any better off. And the thing that we think that will bring us peace or maybe make us feel in control, make us feel secure, hasn't really done what we thought it was. We can, we can lose our joy very quickly, getting caught up, obsessed about other things. I think the greatest gift is Jesus. But it's so easy for us to replace Jesus with something else. I do it all the time. Even I was lying in my bed the other night, I was thinking, Jesus, man, like I haven't connected with you for a while. Like there's a sense of, of loss in my life. I was getting so busy, you know, moving, figuring all those things out. And don't get me wrong, it's important to, you know, when you're moving house to figure out how you're going to make it happen. But it's so easy to get caught up in other things. And all of a sudden that connection with Jesus just slowly starts to slip. This morning, is, is Jesus the center of our life? Maybe you have something else at the center, something else that may consume you takes your time, something that you obsess about that you can't let go. Have you ever noticed some of the most joyful people are the ones that hold on to things loosely, that aren't possessive, that aren't trying to control, that aren't led by fear? These people sometimes that have very little are sometimes the most joyful people. This morning we're going to be going to Luke 2, 8 to 20. So if you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. And we're going to be looking at the story of the shepherd's and of Mary and Joseph. I think in this story, um, the first thing that I want to talk about is Jesus coming just to the common people. Luke 2, 8 to 20. In the same room, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in a cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host, with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds say, Let's said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Then they hurried off, found both Mary and Joseph, and the baby was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had seen and heard, which they had just been told. Amen. There are a lot of things in life we desire. I mean, this is what all marketing is about. It's about creating desire, getting us to want a product. And let's be honest, we don't even need marketing half the time. You know, I remember as a child, you know, like you have your friend, they wear like a new piece of clothing to school or they have new shoes and you're like, oh man, I really like those shoes. And all of a sudden, you know, there's jealousy up inside of you and you, you want those shoes or you want, um, you know, this new TV or a new game or whatever it is. And so easy for us to miss out on, on Jesus because we get obsessed by other gifts. And I'm not just talking about gifts. Sometimes it can be lusts, desires that, that never fulfill, that we never find joy in. C.S. Lewis has this quote in his book, Surprised by Joy, that I find um, quite interesting. He says, The inherent dialectic of desire itself had in a way already shown me this. For all images, sensations, if idolatrously mistaken for joy itself, soon honestly confess themselves inadequate. What C.S. Lewis is saying, he's saying these things don't fulfill. These things that we think will bring us joy, as soon as we think they will and we start to experience them, we find them empty. We find them lacking. I would say often we don't experience joy in our society because we're often going to things thinking that they'll bring us what we want, and in the end, they're just a poison that just has us coming back for more and more, and we just get addicted, but we're never satisfied. An empty well. I think part of this, are we willing to embrace Jesus of the common? Jesus of the common rather than the Jesus of the extravagant. And the, way, the reason why I say this, this proclamation, this announcement about him is revealed to shepherds. Now, unfortunately, shepherds have gotten a bad rap. And I want to say there's, there's a bit of dispute about this, actually, in scholarly circles. Lots of people assume scholar, um, shepherds were of low standing. And this is true, but we have to remember that most of the people were of low standing. Most people did not have power. Most people did not have wealth. And being a shepherd in agrarian society, in Israelite society, was what had been a very kind of common thing. Lots of people worked with their hands or worked with animals or worked with crops. This was just the way of life. I mean, if we lived even 100 years ago, this was much more common to have a lot more farmers, a lot more people working with sheep and cattle. And Jesus' announcement was to these common shepherds. 
It was not in the temple of Jerusalem. It was not at the pyramids of Egypt. It was not in the halls of Rome to Caesar. It was not in the Colosseum. Jesus could have had this announcement, go to these famous places, these places of power, but these angels appear to shepherds in a field. Think about that. It's not even a town. It's not even like some big city where lots of people are here. It's just these guys tending their sheep, guys who've probably been doing this day after day, just out in the field doing their thing. And this announcement comes to them. I mean, not to get graphic, but who, like maybe one of the sheep was going pee or something when the angels showed up. Like, they're shepherds. Like, if you've been on a farm, you know that there's smells and different things that happen with that. But yet this announcement comes to them. This announcement isn't made to kings. It's not made to Caesar. It's made to these shepherds in this field. This gospel is not for Caesar, for a man enraptured by his own power, by his own image, but rather for shepherds, for the common people that are willing to hear, that don't hold on to power, who don't, at least in the scheme of things, appear to play a big role. They're not really important in society. They're not the bigwigs. They don't make the big shots. They don't determine policy. But yet Jesus' announcement comes to them. Are we willing to be lesser? Are we willing to humble ourselves? Our society often puts place of privilege on those you know, who are athletes or actors or people who have fame of some kind, maybe on social media or maybe even politicians. But Jesus doesn't seem to care about that too much. Can we take joy in the common things, realizing that Jesus doesn't value things how our society often values things? I remember in my early 20s, I was vain. I remember thinking that if I look more muscular, I will be more popular. And the thing is, it's not even that I was unpopular. I had lots of friends. But for some reason, I thought that I needed to be more, that I needed to get more. And you know, I was an athlete, I played lots of sports, and so going to the gym was fairly easy for me. I learned quickly, and, and it was, and don't get me wrong, I think it's important to stay in shape, but it became a way of seeking status. It became a way of seeking, kind of being liked, being popular. And I remember I was working out quite a bit, and I was getting results, and I remember I never felt so empty and so shallow. I remember I started to get compliments from people, and I remember feeling just utterly empty inside. See, it didn't nurture the soul. It didn't nurture the person. I had nurtured my physical body, but my whole other being, my whole emotional health was not healthy at all. Jesus doesn't care about status. He doesn't care about fame. Jesus comes to the common shepherd, I'm not sure in my 20s if I would be with the common shepherd. Take a second to imagine how amazing this is. In verse 9, it says, And the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, this word glory of the Lord, this is actually from the Old Testament, and it refers to his kavod in the Hebrew or this doxa in the Greek. It's like this, this heavy heaviness, this heavy presence of the Lord. And the thing is, this presence of the Lord hasn't been in Israel for the last 400 years. 
God has departed from the temple in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 10, it talks about how his spirit departed. And now this is the first time that the glory of the Lord is talked about again is with these shepherds. They were probably wondering what in the world is going on? What is God doing? God shows his glory to these common shepherds, just working out in a field, just doing their day-by-day work. Are we willing to be found among just the common? Are we willing to humble ourselves? The joy of the Lord is often found in humility. What are the counterfeit joys we seek? The angel is with the other angels in verse 13, and he makes this announcement starting in verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is Messiah the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in a cloth, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now, if you read this message at face value, it's a pretty amazing message. It's like, wow, this is, this is pretty earth-changing. But I think if we understand even the context of the Jewish people, this becomes even more powerful. The angel doesn't want them to be afraid, which is fair. If you have sin and you know, you're a Jewish person, you're like, I haven't purified myself, I haven't done what I need to do, and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord shows up, well, you think, well, you may die. And that would probably would have been a fair thought. But he says, no, this is great news. This is great joy. And this word for good news, you've heard, is, is gospel. And there's often an ancient backdrop to this term that sometimes we miss. Often when someone would proclaim the gospel, it would be this royal announcement. It's not just like, oh, good news, I got my car fixed, or good news, you know, my bike is working. No, when there was a gospel proclaimed, it would be like, this is earth-shattering news. Caesar would proclaim gospel when Caesar rose to power in his ascension, there was a gospel that went out that Caesar came to power. It was a gospel of Caesar in a sense. There's also a gospel of Caesar when he destroyed his enemies and that all of a sudden the empire had peace. Never mind that that peace came at the cost of thousands of lives. This gospel is not just good news. It's amazing news. It means something is going to change. Verse 11 speaks of a savior, a messiah, a lord who will be born to them. And this is a combination of titles. We actually see this nowhere else in the New Testament of savior, Christ, and Lord. And Luke is trying to tell us something about the identity of Jesus. Luke is making a comment. He's saying this birth is extraordinary. There's nothing like it. This baby who's going to be born is going to change something, everything. And one thing I thought was interesting is that this use of title of Savior and Lord is aligning Jesus with Yahweh of the Old Testament. You only see in the Old Testament, Isaiah, that these terms are used together to refer to Yahweh. In Isaiah 43.3, it says, For I am the should be up there. Yeah, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior, and I have given Egypt as a ransom for you. Cush and Seba in your place. And then verse 11, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. We see this actually reinforced again in the Old Testament, Isaiah 45, 15, verse 21, Isaiah 49, 26, and 60, 16. These terms that Luke is using for Jesus, he's trying to build this connection to Yahweh of the Old Testament. But guess what? Who else goes by the term Savior? 
Caesar goes by the term savior. And Caesar claimed that he was the savior of the common folk, that he was the savior of the world. Caesar claimed that he brought a new age of peace. So when Luke is making this claim about Jesus, he's directly countering the claims of what Caesar said. There's this announcement of a true king of peace. But do we take joy that Jesus is king? Sometimes I feel we don't really think that Jesus is king by the fear, how we react in society. Often I see people saying, we need to do this, we need to do that. And that's true, maybe we need to be concerned about politics and other things, and we, need, we do need to be concerned. But often the fear and the rhetoric that I see does not actually represent that we believe Jesus is king. It sometimes things that we think someone else is king. But here, Luke is saying Jesus is the one who reigns. Perhaps do we listen to counterfeit narratives? It would have been easy to think about Rome and to think about its power, its empire. Do we listen to Caesars who attempt to go in the place of God? Our society says, have this and be liked. You know, do this and you'll have friends. If you do this, you'll be successful. Or sometimes we have the gospel of what I would say is sex, money, power. You have these three things and maybe you'll be liked, maybe you'll be recognized. I think we all recognize that these things don't actually bring us joy. They don't actually bring us peace. But yet, often, it's easy to act like the opposite. And just be vulnerable. You may think this is funny, but it's a humbling story for me. For those of you who are maybe friends with me on Facebook, you'll notice that I don't post very often. I post maybe once a month, once every two months. But for me, I struggle if I post something. If I post something on Facebook, I'm checking the likes. Like, just to be completely honest with you, it's so sad. I'll post something, and like, it's like, oh, I wonder if anyone liked what I had to say. And I'll go check it an hour later. And then like four hours later, did anyone like what I had to say? I like, I'll do this over and over. And I'm thinking, what is going on, Stephen, that like, you have to check Facebook. You're so concerned what people think about you, how many likes you get. And it's just... It's hilarious, but it's also sad at the same time. Because like, I realize it's like, man, like, the fact that I have to check Facebook to somehow reinforce myself, to feel good about myself, that my brain somehow thinks I'm accepted and loved because I got a whole bunch of thumbs up from people, you know? When it's like, I feel loved when, we feel loved when people hug us, when people talk to us, when they invest in us. A thumbs up is really easy to give on Facebook. But it doesn't, it doesn't really help us. It doesn't really actually give us something that sustains us. I looked for self-validation. And so I have to be careful when I'm on social media that like, sometimes I'll post something and I'll purposely like, wait a day not to check. It's like, okay, I can't check because I want to control that part of me that wants to be liked. I need to rein it in. I want to end with this last point of the interactions with shepherds and Mary. Verse 16, Luke 2, 16 to 19 so this is the shepherds. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph. And the baby was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. I love Mary in the scriptures. I think Mary is an amazing character. I love it how she doesn't quite understand everything. She doesn't understand how exactly this is all going to work, but she's treasuring it up. 
She's meditating on it. I'm sure Mary had questions. I'm sure she probably had trouble falling asleep like I did around Christmas time. I'm guessing when the baby was coming close, she was probably like, what in the world is Jesus going to bring? I don't think she understood completely who Jesus was. And I think when the shepherds came to her, it began kind of this thought process and thinking more, who is Jesus? What's he going to do? She was treasuring these things, meditating on them. Are we enraptured by Jesus? Are we drawn to him? Do we want to be with him? Do we spend time pondering about Jesus? You know, I was so obsessed about that present when I was eight. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I mean, like, I even ripped the present open just so that I could see what was in it. And thank goodness no one found out that it was ripped on Christmas Day. But I mean, like, I was so captivated by that present. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I think this is how we ought to be with Jesus. But we can kind of lose our curiosity with Jesus. We can kind of begin just to put him off to the side. Oh, oh Jesus, that's nice. Oh, uh, okay, Jesus, you're over there. I'm doing this. And would we be like Mary this morning? Would we treasure these things? Would we meditate on them? Because the thing is with Jesus is that as we discover more of him, we just continue to discover. See, now, you're probably all wondering what was in the package. So, in the package was an N64 controller. And for those of you, it's just like an old gaming console. And, uh, but, like, it was, like, super exciting for me when I was a kid. I was like, oh, my gosh, my aunt got this for me. This is amazing. But after that, like, you know, you just begin to use it. And kind of, you know, kind of the, the glamour, the shine, that kind of just goes away with time. You know, we've all probably had that where we get something new. And it just, we stop treasuring it. But with Jesus, we can always know more about him. Jesus is infinite. We are finite. And Jesus is calling us into this relationship with him, which is amazing to think about an infinite being and calling us humble humans into this relationship with him. So I would ask you, will you be enraptured by Jesus? Will you value him? Because he is what we can find joy in. Are we willing to ponder about him, have questions? Or do we think we have him figured out? I remember when I was going through seminary, I was doing lots of studying, lots of reading on Jesus and just thinking about like Jesus from the first century. And the thing is, I thought I had Jesus figured out, but Jesus always has more for us. Would Jesus be the center of our faith, the way that we do things? Part of the reason Jesus came to earth was to draw all people to himself. Does Jesus fascinate you? Let me suggest that if we think that we have it all figured out, we're in a place of pride, if we think we have nothing more to learn from Jesus. And maybe we would never say that, but what do our actions say? Are we willing to humble ourselves, willing just to be common, to treasure Jesus, to be enraptured by him? I think it's this is when we begin to discover joy. Amen. Um, I'm going to invite the, the worship team back up and they can lead us. Sorry about that worship team. I'll just pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray for the counterfeits in our life, the things that don't bring us joy, that are empty, that actually steal our joy, that are like a poison to us, Lord. I pray that you would work in those things and root them out, Lord. Help us to treasure you and to find our joy and peace in you. In Jesus' name, amen.